Part two, chapter one of Basil. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wiebke Müller. Basil by Wilkie Collins. Part two, chapter one. An epoch in my narrative has now arrived up to the time of my marriage i have appeared as an active agent in the different events i have described after that period and with one or two exceptional cases throughout the whole year of my probation my position changed with the change in my life and became a passive one during this interval year certain events happened some of which at the time excited my curiosity but none my apprehension some affected me with a temporary disappointment but none with even a momentary suspicion i can now look back on them as so many timely warnings which i treated with fatal neglect it is in these events that the history of the long year through which i waited to claim my wife as my own is really comprised they mark the lapse in time broadly and significantly and to them i must now confine myself as exclusively as may be in the present portion of my narrative it will be first necessary however that i should describe what was the nature of my intercourse with margaret during the probationary period which followed our marriage mr sherwin's anxiety was to make my visits to north villa as few as possible he evidently feared the consequences of my seeing his daughter too often but on this point i was resolute enough in asserting my own interests to overpower any resistance on his part i required him to concede to me the right of seeing margaret every day leaving all arrangements of time to depend on his own convenience after the due number of objections he reluctantly acquiesced in my demand i was bound by no engagement whatever limiting the number of my visits to margaret and i let him see at the outset that i was now ready in my turn to impose conditions on him as he had already imposed them on me accordingly it was settled that margaret and i were to meet every day i usually saw her in the evening when any alteration in the hour of my visit took place that alteration was produced by the necessity which we all recognised alike of avoiding a meeting with any of mr sherwin's friends those portions of the day or the evening which i spent with margaret were seldom passed altogether in the elysian idleness of love not content with only enumerating his daughter's school accomplishment to me at our first interview mr sherwin boastfully referred to them again and again on many subsequent occasions and even obliged margaret to display before me some of her knowledge of languages which he never forgot to remind us had been lavishly paid for out of his own pocket it was at one of these exhibitions that the idea occurred to me of making a new pleasure for myself out of margaret's society by teaching her really to appreciate and enjoy the literature which she had evidently had hitherto only studied as a task my fancy revelled by anticipation in all the delights of such an employment as this it would be like acting the story of abelard and heloise over again reviving all the poetry and romance in which those immortal love studies of old had begun with none of the guilt and none of the misery that had darkened their end i had a definite purpose besides in wishing to assume the direction of margaret's studies whenever the secret of my marriage was revealed my pride was concerned in being able to show my wife to every one as the all-sufficient excuse for any imprudence i might have committed for her sake i was determined that my father especially should have no other argument against her than the one ungracious argument of her birth that he should see her fitted by the beauty of her mind as well as by all her other beauties for the highest station that society could offer 
the thought of this gave me fresh ardour in my project i assumed my new duties without delay and continued them with a happiness which never once suffered even a momentary decrease of all the pleasures which a man finds in the society of a woman whom he loves are there any superior are there many equal to the pleasure of reading out of the same book with her on what other occasion do the sweet familiarities of the sweetest of all companionships last so long without cloying and pass and repass so naturally so delicately so inexhaustibly between you and her when is your face so constantly close to hers as it is then when can your hair mingle with hers your cheek touch hers your eyes meet hers so often as they can then that is of all times the only time when you can breathe with her breath for hours together feel every little warming of the colour on her cheeks marking its own changes on the temperature of yours follow every slight fluttering of her bosom every faint gradation of her sighs as if her heart was beating her life glowing within yours surely it is then if ever that we realise almost revive in ourselves the love of the first two of our race when angels walked with them on the same garden paths and their hearts were pure from the pollution of the fatal tree evening after evening passed away one more happily than another in what margaret and i called our lessons never were lessons of literature so like lessons of love we read oftenest the lighter italian poets we studied the poetry of love written in the language of love but as for the steady utilitarian purpose i had proposed to myself of practically improving margaret's intellect that was a purpose which insensibly and deceitfully abandoned me as completely as if it had never existed the little serious teaching i did with her at first led to very poor results perhaps the lover interfered too much with the tutor perhaps i had overestimated the fertility of the faculties i designed to cultivate but i cared not and thought not to inquire where the fault lay then i gave myself up unreservedly to the exquisite sensations which the mere act of looking on the same page with margaret procured for me and neither detected nor wished to detect that it was i who read the difficult passages and left only a few even of the very easiest to be attempted by her happily for my patience under the trial imposed on me by the terms on which mr sherwin's restrictions and my promise to obey them obliged me to live with margaret it was mrs sherwin who was generally selected to remain in the room with us by no one could such ungrateful duties of supervision as those imposed on her have been more delicately and more considerately performed she always kept far enough away to be out of hearing when we whispered to each other we rarely detected her even in looking at us she had a way of sitting for hours together in the same part of the room without ever changing her position without occupation of any kind without uttering a word or breathing a sigh i soon discovered that she was not lost in thought at these periods as i had at first supposed but lost in a strange lethargy of body and mind a comfortless waking trance into which she fell from sheer physical weakness it was like the vacancy and feebleness of a first convalescence after a long illness she never changed never looked better never worse i often spoke to her i tried hard to show my sympathy and win her confidence and friendship the poor lady was always thankful always spoke to me gratefully and kindly but very briefly she never told me what were her sufferings or her sorrows the story of that lonely lingering life was an impenetrable mystery for her own family for her husband and her daughter as well as for me it was a secret between her and god 
with mrs sherwin as the guardian to watch over margaret it may easily be imagined that i felt none of the heavier oppressions of restraint her presence as a third person appointed to remain with us was not enough to repress the little endearments to which each evening's lesson gave rise but was just sufficiently perceptible to invest them with the character of stolen endearments and to make them all the more precious on that very account mrs sherwin never knew i never thoroughly knew myself till later how much of the secret of my patience under my year's probation lay in her conduct while she was sitting in the room with margaret and me in the solitude where i now write in the change of life and of all life's hopes and enjoyments which has come over me when i look back to those evenings at north villa i shudder as i look at this moment i see the room again as in a dream with the little round table the reading-lamp and the open books margaret and i are sitting together her hand is in mine my heart is with hers love and youth and beauty the mortal trinity of this world's worship are there in that quiet softly lit room but not alone away in the dim light behind is a solitary figure ever mournful and ever still it is a woman's form but how wasted and how weak a woman's face but how ghastly and changeless with those eyes that are vacant those lips that are motionless those cheeks that the blood never tinges that the freshness of health and happiness shall never visit again woeful warning figure of dumb sorrow and patient pain to fill the background of a picture of love and beauty and youth i am straying from my task let me return to my narrative its course begins to darken before me apace while i now write the partial restraint and embarrassment caused at first by the strange terms on which my wife and i were living together gradually vanished before the frequency of my visits to north villa we soon began to speak with all the ease all the unpremeditated frankness of a long intimacy margaret's powers of conversation were generally only employed to lead me to exert mine she was never tired of inducing me to speak of my family she listened with every appearance of interest while i talked of my father my sister or my elder brother but whenever she questioned me directly about any of them her inquiries invariably led away from their characters and dispositions to their personal appearance their everyday habits their dress their intercourse with the gay world the things they spent their money on and other topics of a similar nature for instance she always listened and listened attentively to what i told her of my father's character and of the principles which regulated his life she showed every disposition to profit by the instructions i gave her beforehand about how she should treat his peculiarities when she was introduced to him but on all these occasions what really interested her most was to hear how many servants waited on him how often he went to court how many lords and ladies he knew what he said or did to his servants when they committed mistakes whether he was ever angry with his children for asking him for money and whether he limited my sister to any given number of dresses in the course of the year again whenever our conversation turned on clara if i began by describing her kindness her gentleness and goodness her simple winning manners i was sure to be led insensibly into a digression about her height figure complexion and style of dress the latter subject especially interested margaret she could question me on it over and over again what was clara's usual morning dress how did she wear her hair what was her evening dress did she make a difference between a dinner-party and a ball what colours did she prefer what dressmaker did she employ did she wear much jewellery which did she like best in her hair and which was most fashionable flowers or pearls 
how many new dresses did she have in a year and was there more than one maid especially to attend on her then again had she a carriage of her own what ladies took care of her when she went out did she like dancing what were the fashionable dancers at noblemen's houses did young ladies in the great world practise the piano forty much how many offers had my sister had did she go to court as well as my father what did she talk about to gentlemen and what did gentlemen talk about to her if she were speaking to a duke how often would she say your grace to him and would a duke get her a chair or an ice and wait on her just as gentlemen without titles waited on ladies when they met them in society my replies to these and hundreds of other questions like them were received by margaret with the most eager attention on the favourite subject of clara's dresses my answers were an unending source of amusement and pleasure to her she especially enjoyed overcoming the difficulties of interpreting aright my clumsy circumlocutory phrases in attempting to describe shawls gowns and bonnets and taught me the exact millinery language which i ought to have made use of with an arch expression of triumph and a burlesque earnestness of manner that always enchanted me at that time every word she uttered no matter how frivolous was the sweetest of all music to my ears it was only by the stern test of after events that i learned to analyse her conversation sometimes when i was away from her i might think of leading her girlish curiosity to higher things but when we met again the thought vanished and it became delight enough for me simply to hear her speak without once caring or considering what she spoke of those were the days when i lived happy and unreflecting in the broad sunshine of joy which love showered around me my eyes were dazzled my mind lay asleep under it once or twice a cloud came threatening with chill and shadowy influence but it passed away and then the sunshine returned to me the same sunshine that it was before End of part two, chapter one